Happy holidays from Coleman Watts, your host of the Frontier Space Podcast, where we help bridge the gap between science fiction and reality related to space technology and exploration. In our segment on 60 Seconds in Space, single-celled ancient Earth organism, or a microbe, was fed a meteorite. And what happened next? It actually thrived by growing and combining nutrients. We could potentially use this as a way to search for signatures of past life on other planets. But my question for you is, how can we harness this energy and concept to advance space exploration and asteroid mining? Or maybe even integrate this molecular structure into architectural design and engineering. Also, NASA found water ice just below the surface of Mars. This is an incredible human accomplishment. And guess what? Some of the ice is as little as 2.5 centimeters below the surface. This saves significant amounts of time and money in identifying settlement locations and transforming in-situ resource utilization to convert groundwater into oxygen, water, and rocket fuel. (laughs) And lastly, researchers actually now claim that there is no black hole in our solar system. Thank God. Learn more from the links in the podcast description. Our guest today is Dr. Joseph Koller, who holds two master degrees in physics and astronomy from Austria and a PhD in astrophysics from Rice University. Joseph was recently space policy advisor for the Secretary of Defense and is now the system director at the Aerospace Corporation. Joseph, welcome aboard the Frontier Space Podcast. Before we begin, I wanted to ask, what is something interesting about you that not not that many people may realize? I did not anticipate that question, but thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Something interesting about me, I have lots of different interests. Um, I'm in the ski patrol. I am also a private pilot and I have a real estate license. Interesting. Look forward to discussing more about that. (laughs) About real estate? (laughs) It's all about space. Yes. So this month's episode um, is on how us humans can accelerate uh, due singularity. Back in August of 2019, Joseph Collar released a publication with the Aerospace Corporation known as The Future of Ubiquitous Real-Time Intelligence, a Geoint Singularity, which you can locate in the podcast description. I was wondering, what inspired you and your team to get into this type of work? So I've supported uh, the Office of the Secretary of Defense for uh, four years. Um, And in that role, I was responsible for managing um, the national security license conditions when a company applies for a a remote sensing license. And uh, during that uh, activity or in in that role, I had to, or I listened to, and and we negotiated many different license conditions. And I witnessed uh, some of the discussions or many of the discussions that are going on between uh, the commercial sector and the national security sector. And so I decided to, to write this paper and uh, really enjoyed some of the feedback that I've gotten. And just yesterday, for example, I had a, a gentleman visiting me and uh, he, he looked at the paper and he, he thought of it as more of an inspirational goal, actually something that we should try to achieve. 
the geo in singularity. Wonderful to hear. So how would we generally define geo singularity? So the way I define it is this hypothetical point in time where the general public, basically the general population, would have access to remote sensing imagery, analytics, and data in real time. I think you bring a unique perspective to GeoSingularity, which is um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here. To piggyback off of um, what you said, it's, it's pretty much um, also a, a real-time 3D version in, in various spectral bands of Google Earth with much higher spatial and temporal resolution. Geo and singularity would be not just a, a next revolution, but would be a, a singular point where the world would become transparent. And the question really then becomes, what does that mean for society? There are many implications. In the paper, I point out some of the national security issues that would come with that, but it's also our privacy, privacy of the general citizen. I also believe geosingularity may be one of the largest data sources um, of this um, information um, technology stage. And I wanted to also um, discuss some of the market drivers and key technologies uh, behind geosingularity. Right. So in conjunction with remote sensing data and imagery, these two trends actually um, emphasize each other because artificial intelligence is nothing without the data to train it and analyze it. And um, while companies are proposing to launch more satellites to take imagery uh, or, or other types of data, um, prices will likely drop because more data is provided. However, the need for the artificial intelligence to ingest all that data becomes higher. So maybe there is a counterbalance between those two and they actually enable each other. And then thirdly, the trend on uh, communication satellites. Try to bridge the digital divide and uh, connect everybody on the globe. And having those three trends together, emphasizing each other, really lead you to this notion of a geo and singularity, where data would be uh, immediately collected, analyzed, and redistributed to those who, who want it. So our history on Earth uh, points towards a future where a majority of this data is potentially free and integrated into the Internet of Things. That, that's not part of what I looked at in my paper, if data would be free at that point. I'm not quite sure that it would be free. Um, somehow companies do have to make money. On the other hand, you have different types of business models and companies, if, if there were a cost on data, it would definitely put a damper on the accessibility of that data as you move towards a geo and singularity. So, you know, perhaps it is a, an intrinsic requirement of actually reaching a point like that. But again, it's a hypothetical point. Would there be significant pushback from uh, advocates on privacy? In the paper, I talk a lot about the national security community, but what about the privacy of the general citizen too? My perspective on privacy is that our cell phone network providers are already tracking our location and distributing that data for commercial purposes. 
you know, it's somewhat dependent on the um, type of application, how sensitive someone's location, and how time skews the uh, importance of that location. Right, right. And there, there's probably a value associated with it, how uh, old that particular data point is. You know, the, the older it gets, the yeah. less valuable it may become. On the other hand, you could also argue that as an aggregate, it defines a human being, right, where a person has been in the past. So it probably will not reach uh, a value of zero, but there is a, a residual value. And then there's also um, all of these data points coming from the communication side of things, you know, and how that could be integrated into view singularity. I was wondering, what, um, what are some future applications you are looking forward to? Future applications, I think we're really searching still for that killer app. 20, 30 years ago, email became that killer application that really facilitates communication between people. With remote sensing, I'm not sure we have found that particular killer app yet. I think it will be a, a major leap forward in uh, the cost and the pricing of satellite data and the analytics and the distribution of that. What I get really excited about is um, how this um, view singularity holds the potential to provide a, a new global na navigation system for almost any autonomous vehicle. Like machines can know where almost every observable object is outdoors in real time. Bulldozer on a phone, like ships on ships, or even detecting a, a car crash virtually anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Right, that, that's an interesting thought. Or having multiple ways of verifying the location of vehicles through not just GPS or other systems, but also remote sensing maybe, that may be a killer application. I do believe that these mobile applications are somewhat of a catalyst to drive affordability for end-user customers. To, to drive affordability for end-users. So I wanted to um, take a glimpse into our future here on Earth. This, this continuous demand and supply for Earth observation bounds this epic self-sustaining economy. In your publication, you also mentioned options to break the regulatory paradox in commercial remote sensing. So if the regulatory paradox that I talk about in my paper really comes into play when you imagine the risk to a military operator being seen and trying to assess that particular risk. Um, that risk is continuously increasing, and if you try to keep that risk of detection steady at a steady state, um, the only way to keep that at a steady state is through increasing the restrictions on the U.S. domestic market. But that is counter to, to national policy of encouraging uh, the viability and ingenuity of uh, domestic firms. It certainly would enable the United States to know more about what potential adversaries are up to, uh, but it's a double-edged sword. 
potential adversaries would also know what the United States is up to. And um, we have to understand that the time of uh, having a staging area like in World War II where you could invade uh, another country, that time is gone because there is no more staging area that can be developed and you could operate out for undetected until it's time to go. That time has, has passed and uh, I think there's a lot that has to be changed in our, in our approach using uh, a refocus on other methods. For example, in my paper I talk about denial and deception techniques really need to be at the forefront. What are some ways that we can achieve geosingularity faster? Geo and singularity, um, if, it's, if it's a goal that somebody would want to achieve, this global transparency, and perhaps with free data to the general public, to truly put all this together, somebody needs to look at these separate companies and figure out a way how to combine them in such a way that they can actually emphasize each other. I wanted to uh, mention three ways that I believe we could achieve uh, geosingularity faster as well. Leveraging human emotion, on-orbit refueling services, and subsidizing the cost of geosingularity. I believe on-orbit refueling services um, hold the potential to become one of the most influential technologies to achieve geosingularity because they may be able to double or triple the capacity of a satellite or a constellation. And over the long term, the refueling may reduce the prices of satellite data by maybe an order of magnitude. This applies on both the communication and imaging side of the equation. And then uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this uh, transitions over towards each Earth observation application. I think um, satellite servicing, um but taking into account some of the orbital distribution and looking at the different aspects of the geosynchronous orbits versus low Earth orbit. Uh, geosynchronous orbits, everybody moves basically in the same direction on the same plane. Those satellites will be much, will be the first target, uh, will be much easier to move from one client to the next client because they're all in the same orbital plane and companies are starting to do that. If you start trying to do the same thing for low Earth orbiting and satellites as they are distributed in different orbital planes with different inclinations, it becomes very expensive and very fuel intensive to change orbital planes to move from one potential client to the next one. Already, are you ready to take a break? All right. So before we begin in this really exciting second half of this episode, um, if you find value or we help improve a perspective from these conversations and podcast episodes, you know, it would mean so much if you supported what we're doing on Patreon at patreon.com slash frontier underscore space. Another unique um, perspective of how we can leverage human emotion and why that may be another powerful way to achieve geosingularity. I think something you won't find in your textbooks is that systematic corporate change happens when we tap into emotional strings and networks. 
what we mean by this is, is really surfacing the metrics from satellite imagery that affect human emotion. Right, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see in, in a fully transparent world, um, will people just rely on expressing emotions more or less because everything else is basically revealed and accessible to every, everything? One example is, you know, say um, millions of researchers who are geologists studying Earth's rocks. But how much time does it take for all of mankind to observe these rocks, which appear to be stationary? How much time could have been saved 5, 10, 20 years down the road from these 3D mosaics, from satellites of most of Earth's rocks? Lots of opportunities as well. Or, or really quantifying how much human death can be avoided from geosynchronous. So I think to achieve geosingularity faster, it's, it's sometimes about taking a deeper dive into these indirect ethical challenges satellite data providers may become partially responsible for. You know, like we can purposely build more empathetic interpretation into our data analytics and then share these metrics that stem from the true significance across each industry. So is it a positive thing? Geosingularity, global transparency. I, I absolutely think that geosingularity is a positive thing. I do believe 90 to 95% of the applications are generally for positive purposes on applications from the ground, aerial, and from space. So your point of view really is that geo and singularity is... is and should be a goal and should be achieved and therefore should be subsidized rather than letting it organically grow in a free market environment. And to some extent, yes. I think there are many ways at which we could accelerate the rate at which we achieve this hypothetical time period. So in your publication, you you mentioned that we may not actually reach geo and singularity. Could you elaborate? Yeah, because I think um, not everybody will be able to perhaps afford the data. So uh, there will always be a time issue. Um, and while, while the trends are real, make it perhaps not achievable of a true singularity, but perhaps a, an approximation an approximation to such a point. What do you believe are some of the largest factors as to why we may not reach geosingularity? I think privacy I, issue, privacy concern. Really, what are the implications for privacy? How much information is everybody giving up? Um, and is it for the benefit of oneself, for society, or for a singular company who are making money of it? And so those, those things, I think, will really need to be addressed, and those are debates that still need to happen. One of the last points you mentioned um, about uh, profiting, I believe capitalism actually poses one of the steepest barriers to geosingularity. Um, and, and thanks to equality and democracy, I, I think that wall will gradually be reduced. You know, an interesting question to ask ourselves is how, um, you know, 
our organization's profit margin from collecting satellite data can actually undermine our users and customers' capabilities. And I believe international collaboration is um, also one of the largest factors. Somewhere in that mix would also be coronal mass ejections and the, and the tech disabled. Do you believe there will be a shortage of demand when we reach a certain resolution? I think it depends if we identify that killer application. There will be uh, perhaps a shortage, and if there is a shortage, you know, people will launch more satellites. A few months ago, SI broke the 15-minute world record for uh, temporal resolution. I think that when we fuse these imagery data sets across these constellations, that it will be well under five minutes of temporal resolution in this new decade. Absolutely. I think artificial intelligence has that ability to fuse data. It provides the ability to ask very unique questions that we weren't able to answer before or ask before. There's um, an exponential growth in user applications as the temporal resolution is, is reduced to under a minute and 30 seconds. You know, if, if we don't achieve that temporal resolution, we could have a difficult time analyzing construction, parking, and traffic trends. It's going to be one of the most powerful methods to optimize our global traffic system. Yeah, video from space. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is that, you know, when you um, start increasing your temporal resolution, so you have a five-minute temporal resolution revisit rate, um, we'd have to double the capacity of satellite imagery to get to 2.5 and then double that capacity again to get to 1.25, and so on. And then while minimizing the overlap of collection, requires some challenging optimization problems with on-orbit communication. I don't think it's just uh, a matter of increasing the capacity. It's really, there are companies that um, have in their business plan to not just take images, but to actually shoot video. And you need a certain constellation to, you know, as the satellite moves over a point, uh, for another satellite to pick up that very same location. Yeah, satellite video could actually dramatically reduce the required number of imaging satellites from thousands down to down to double digits. Yeah, it really depends on what orbit they're going into. My next question for you is, why should humanity agree upon stages of geosingularity? So, things will, I don't think, will develop necessarily in stages. It will gradually develop. Uh, stages may come into play when uh, you have, you start imposing certain regulatory restrictions on what data can be taken, uh, how it can be analyzed or fused with other data sources, right? Is it okay to, um, you know, purchase banking information and combine it with somebody's uh, Facebook or Twitter feed and uh, with remote sensing and video from above. Um, and so those types of regulations, I think, will come. And then you, you have developing certain limits and stages and things won't grow as gradually as, as they are today. You know, what if 50 years ago, the geospatial community may have thought that the remote sensing capability of today would be geosingularity? Would they have... Uh, done things differently. I think 50 years ago people probably believed uh, launching operating satellite is always going to be a uh, government business. I also think there's a certain point in time 
exist where humans and artificial intelligence identify every valuable correlation. If you ask me, I think our future in this topic uh, gets a lot of us geospatial nerds really inspired and that we should have more panel discussions on geosingularity at all of these conferences such as Satellite, Geoint, Space Symposium, IEC. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I think uh, it's, and so I think the conversation is a good one and I think it's uh, very important to actually have that particular conversation because it has not just the opportunity but also the um, implications are enormous on society. You rock, Joseph. Really enjoyed our conversation today. All right, it was fun. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And where can our audience connect with you online? Um, email is best. I think uh, email address is located on the paper. Wonderful. If not before, maybe see you at GEO in 2020. All right, looking forward to it. Thank you so much for chiming in today. Really appreciate you over there. Feliz Navidad. Merry Hanukkah and Happy Christmas will return in the new decade.